Well, it's good to see you today. Um, You've all seen it. You may have driven by it this morning, uh, maybe right next door to you. Uh, The perfect yard. I mean, you know, you may have the neighbor that they're out like 80 hours a week. I mean, they're pulling every little blade uh, of grass that is not their specific type of grass. And I mean, it is just perfectly landscaped perfectly coiffed. It's just, it's absolutely perfect. And you always feel a little insignificant and uh, unsure of yourself when you see that, but we've all seen it. And there's some people that just, I mean, they, they live for that, for that perfect, perfect yard. I guess it gives them a sense of being in a kind of a perfect environment. Uh, I was raised in the country and uh, I guess that's never had an appeal to me because the type of yards I grew up mowing, um, the yard still where my mom and dad live in northwest Arkansas. It's a country yard. Uh, that means it has almost no grass except for wire grass. How many of you know what wire grass is? It's not a grass at all. I think it's from a different planet. I have no idea what it is or where it came from. Uh, mostly weeds, patches of dirt, lots of rock, lots of dust while you're mowing. And uh, it's just, it's really not a yard, but that's a country yard. You've even got to mow the lane that you drive on, you know, the center of it because grass grows up that. That's the difference between living in the country and the city. So I've never really thought about, you know, that because I just kind of grew up with it and, and that's the way ours is now. And, and I have no illusions of ever having a perfect yard. It's kind of good to have a country yard because, I mean, you know it's never going to be perfect. It's just, it's just not. So you don't, you don't try to make it perfect. You just do the best you can and, and uh, just try to make it look, uh, you know, managed as best as you can. It's wild. It's wild weeds and wild wire grass and wild rocks and wild dirt and it's just, that's it. And uh, so, but people, I think, try uh, to search for, try to establish, try to put all the pieces in place in their life to, to have that perfect life. Now, most of us, we're way past that. I mean, we know we've already blown it and life has already hit us one too many times. I mean, we know that there's no such thing as a perfect life. But still, people try to establish this. They try to build this up. They try to make this look good. They try to put on this appearance. They try to have this kind of car or this kind of house or this kind of lifestyle. And and they want everybody to think that they have a perfect life. You've driven up to a stoplight and then a couple drives up beside you in a brand new Corvette convertible. They're laughing, hair blowing in the wind. They've just left a $100 lunch someplace, you know. And I mean, and you look over and you say, oh, they must have the perfect life. There's no such thing. I'm going to show you a picture of a couple of guys that uh, you might think might have the perfect life. Okay, uh, don't, don't, don't say, uh, Lindsay, uh, you got all of the baseball questions last Sunday, so you don't get to guess any today because we just think that you're kind of fooling us by not knowing anything about sports. Do you know who uh, either one of these guys are? Oh, that's one guy. Okay. I think Larry has another guy. Uh, okay, there's, oh, well, okay. Oh, Parker knows who this one is. Okay, all right. Well, he's got a basketball in his hand. That kind of gives it away. Okay, who, wa- who wants to make a guess? In- I mean, probably everybody knows. First one was who? First one was who? Pierce? Tom Brady. Good job. Let's give Pierce a hand. Good job, Tom Brady. There he is. Okay, Parker, he's just dying. It's his hero. He's just dying to get the second one. Who is this guy? 
Stephen Curry. Okay, these guys, I mean, they have the perfect life, don't they? I mean, they have good looks. They have the model wife. They have the home. They have the money. They have the perfect kids. I mean, they have championship rings. They have fame. Everybody loves them. They're great guy. They have the perfect life, right? I mean, it's just perfect. How many of you believe that? Perfect. Perfect. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're going to examine that a little bit closer today. Matthew chapter 5, and then you can turn over and find Ephesians 4. We're going to look at both of these scriptures to start off with, and we're going to think about this, uh, this perfect, perfect life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said, In his first message, his first public sermon, he was talking about how to treat your enemies in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount. And he was really focusing in on that the people who are a part of the kingdom of God and have the kingdom of God living inside of them, there is going to be a kindness that comes out of them toward others, even toward their enemies, that is shocking. A shocking kindness that the world cannot understand and cannot explain. And at the end of that, he says in verse 48, You therefore must, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now at first reading, we all say the same thing. (laughs) That's absolutely impossible. What in the world does this scripture mean? We, we cannot possibly, if God is who He reveals Himself to be, if God alone is God, there is none other beside Him. There's no rival. There's no equal. He is transcendent in every respect to every other being. He has created everything. How in the world can we be perfect? I don't understand that. Well, this is one of those passages where you look at the context and you say, In the way that our Heavenly Father is perfect, in His kindness, in His mercy, in His compassion, you and I can treat others with kindness. We can treat others with with compassion, even those who have declared themselves our enemies and are hostile to us. Be perfect! Mature, complete, teleos, be what you ought to be, what you know you should be in every respect of kindness in your treatment toward others. Now, speaking to believers in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says in verses 12 and 13, now this is to believers, that those who teach They are gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to perfection, some of your translations have, to maturity, other translations have, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way unto Him. He is the head. We're to 
We're to be growing spiritually in every part of our life as Christ is in us, He's working in us, He's changing us. We're repenting of sin. We're taking on His nature as we learn of Him, as we desire to follow Him and obey Him. The perfecting of the saints. I've got a newsflash for you. You'll never have the Tom Brady life. Did you know that? Well, I don't know. Some of you young ones, you may go past that. A Parker, you may have the Stephen Curry life. I don't know. You may be a world-famous basketball player, and, and you may be multimillionaire, and you can take care of your parents in their old age. I mean, that may happen. It's all out ahead of you. But for most of us who are adults, we pretty much understand that there's no such thing as a perfect life. So that's the first thing we want to think of this morning, the myth of a perfect life. Seems like so many people are chasing after that illusion and chasing after that dream. Even though they know that in reality, the world is not perfect, I'm not perfect, nobody else is perfect, so there's no way that there can be a perfect life, but people still try to build it up and still try to make it look as perfect as possible in every way possible. But it's really a myth. You know where I think this comes from? I think it comes from the Edenic desire from the Garden of Eden. It's echoes of what was, and it's a deep soul longing for what we once had. We once lived in perfection. Our father and mother, Adam and Eve, lived in absolute perfection. They had perfect lives. They lived in a perfect world. There's something within us that desires that. We miss something that we've never had. We long for it. We we know that this world is not perfect. We know that so much is wrong. Not only with the world around us, it's broken, but with ourselves, our marriages, our relationships. Our our children are not perfect. But we long for it. Why would we do that? I think it's leftover residual longing and deep soul desire for what we once had. And lost in the fall. Turn if you would to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Say I just turned away from Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. It's a familiar four verses. And I think it frames for us this morning the lure and the deception of the perfect life. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And you're very familiar with these scriptures. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these will I give you if, and in the Greek construction, if you will do it just this once, 
The enemy often does that with his temptations to sin. Just this once. If you'll, if you'll bow down and, and, and put your convictions aside and, and put what you know is right aside, do it just this once. No harm going to be done. And he said to him, all these will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's what all temptation is about. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to bow down to? That's what all of temptation is. Now, the temptation for a perfect life, I think, is summed up in these verses in the temptation of Christ. First of all, the bread, I think, could stand for us today as we think about this perfect provision. All that you need will be provided for. You'll never have any worry. You'll never have any material uh, concerns. You'll never have to worry about anything provisionally. Everything is perfectly provided for you. Perfect provision. The second temptation talks about protection. Perfect protection. Cast yourself down. The angels will protect you. You're not going to be hurt. See if your father will do as he promised. Perfect protection and perfect provision. And the third one is this. Perfect power. All the kingdoms of the world. You will have everything you want. You can go where you want. You can do what you want. You are the king of the world. Well, Jesus was already Lord over all of heaven and all the earth. So these were pitiful temptations in one respect. But really, they kind of model the temptation of the enemy for all of us. You can have it all without God. Wouldn't that be the perfect life? Everything provided for you. You know that you would be perfectly protected. No cancer, no accidents, no divorce, no problems. Every You're protected from all harm. Perfect protection. Wouldn't that be great? And then perfect autonomy. Perfect authority. I can live as I want. I can do as I want. Every choice that I make becomes the right choice because I am my God. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody gives me any kind of direction. I do what I want to do. And if I choose to do it, it then becomes right. Perfect authority. A perfect life. But you see, it's all a myth. You can't provide everything. You can provide some things, but you can't provide for a personal peace deep in your soul that only God can give you through Christ. You cannot provide for that. In fact, you know that for many things, you're going to be woefully inadequate. You're not the perfect husband. You're not the perfect wife. You don't have the perfect children. Some of you may have close to the perfect children, but they're not. And we're painfully aware of our imperfections. But it's a myth. You cannot make it be so. There is an extent to which there's no way this side of heaven that there can be any perfection. So it's a myth. So give up trying to have the perfect life provided for, perfect protection. Wouldn't that be great if we can guarantee that our children would never have any pain? Wouldn't that be great if we guarantee that in our lives from this point forward, we would never have any pain at all? Perfect protection. It's a myth. The thing I want you to know is that Jesus did not need any of this. Perfect provision, perfect protection, or perfect authority to have a perfect life. 
he was perfection embodied. All of that's just trappings. All that the enemy tried to lure and deceive, it's still allure, it still is alluring and it's still deceptive today. You can forget the notion of that. It's a myth. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus did not come to have a perfect life. He came to live the perfect life in order that He could be the worthy, holy substitute to take our place, to die for us. So give up the myth of a perfect life. Next, I want us to see the the mystery and the majesty of the perfect life. He's the only one that lived the perfect life. Give up trying to live it and start looking to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And you are familiar with this passage, I'm sure. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of heavenly witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely and trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Stay in your lane. It's a track metaphor. God has it planned out for us and His way is perfect. His eternal purposes are better than our pitiful dreams and goals. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't have to look for perfection in my life. I can look to the One who's perfect. I don't have to try to be perfect. I just... Love Him and follow Him and look to the One who has already been perfect. He is perfect. He always has been perfect. And that's where the joy comes. That's where the peace comes. So look to Jesus. I think if we look to Jesus, stay in Hebrews if you would. We'll just go over a couple of scriptures there. We see His suffering. When we look at Jesus in scripture, we see His suffering. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 says... For it was fitting that He for whom by all things exist, He is God alone, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder, the author, the beginner, the one who began our salvation, perfect through suffering. Now you cannot take, as Jason said a moment ago, perfect and holy God and make Him more perfect and holy. Jesus was not made perfect in the sense that He was imperfect in any way before He came as a man. What it means is, He finished the course of His suffering. That's what perfected means. The the course is before you and you have completed all that God has laid out for you. What a great thing to do to be at the end of our life and to say that we have obeyed the Lord, that we've finished our course. We've done, as God has given us grace, all that He has laid out for us. Do you ever feel like there's so much more that you've missed out on? So much more that God had for you and and you've kind of messed it up, you've blown it? Well, your life is not over. God, by His grace, has given you another moment, another day, another heartbeat, another breath to take. And so... Say, Lord, whatever the course is, however you desire for me to finish my, my life's race, Lord, whatever is perfect for me in your will, God, give me the grace and strength to do that today. 
Do you know that you can live a perfect day today? We started out pretty well. You're in church, so pat yourself on the back. Well, that really doesn't do a whole lot for you, but it is kind of a good start. But you, you can live a perfect day. Not that you're a perfect person. Not that your yard is perfect. Not that your kids will not have a complete meltdown before we get out of church. Not that, uh, uh, you know, uh, something, you might have a flat on your way home. But you can have a perfect day fulfilling all that God has for you today. That's what perfection is. It, it is. it is, in the end, obedience to the will of God. In the end, not that I've been perfect, not that I've done everything exactly right, but in the end, I've been obedient the best that I can as God has given me grace to follow Him. Some of you are young mothers. You're taking care of young children. I want you to know a perfect day, a perfect day, is cleaning up 14 different messes, some of which you've just cleaned up and you have to do it again. But you're showing kindness, you're serving your children, you're building into them memories of, what a, of who a godly mom is and what a godly mom looks like, and you can have a perfect day in the midst of your mess. How many of you have a perfect job environment? Anybody? Oh, it's just perfect. Everybody's perfect. Everybody loves one another. Everybody's kind. It's just a perfect job. Well, I don't think that exists. But you know what? You can have a perfect day. Lord, what is your will for me today? What is your plan for me today? What do you desire to do in and through me to be a blessing to others, to serve others, to show how great you are? You can have a perfect day in that respect. So that's a mystery to us. But... It's a mystery that God has revealed in Christ. You see His sufferings, you see His surrender. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 says that He was made perfect in surrendering His life on the cross. Giving up all that He could have had. He could have had all the kingdoms. All of it was His anyway. He could have come back to the earth, killed all of His enemies, and established His rule and reign physically right then and there. But He laid all of that aside to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. To take your place and my place. His surrender. When we look to Jesus, we see His suffering. We see His surrender. Hebrews chapter 10 says we see His sacrifice. Verses 12 and 14 of Hebrews 10 speaks of that. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, it was a perfect sacrifice. Nothing more was needed. You can't add to it. He sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those of you who are already children of God, in a sense, in what Christ has provided for you and I to be saved, nothing more can be added to it. We have a perfect salvation. It is complete. It is full. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It is perfect. Now, do you and I have a perfect life? Do we live in a perfect way following the Lord? No, we don't. But our salvation has been perfected, completed, fulfilled once and for all, for all eternity, and you and I have that. So in a sense, that's the only thing that you and I have, this side of eternity, that's perfect. Our salvation. It's what we ought to most be grateful for. It's what we ought to build our lives upon. 
It's what we ought to not just think about every once in a while, but it ought to dominate our daily lives and cause us to worship and to wonder at how great our God is. He has given us, He has provided for us, He has done for us what we could not do. Perfect salvation for all of those who are sanctified. Well, the last thing that I want us to look at is the meaning of a perfect life, a mature life. Finishing the course, it's all completed. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and I'll go quickly through these, talks about the goal. It is a goal that is before us. And Paul had said that, uh, uh, I'm not there yet. So it's pretty refreshing to hear Paul, the Apostle Paul that wrote most of the New Testament, say, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I mean, my goodness, Paul. You're Paul. I mean, if anybody is close to God, if anybody's right with God, if anybody is close to spiritual perfection, you're it. But he says in Philippians 3 verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Where does that put you and I? But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that statement. I press on to make it my own. What? The perfection that I already have in my salvation. I'm not perfect. So there's a gap between me and what Christ has given me. So I press on. It's a goal before me to make it my own. Why? Because He has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's again an athletic metaphor of the runner at the last moment of the race pressing forward to bust the finish line. To be the first one. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some of you are considering whether to surrender your life to Christ. I want to tell you it's not easy. I challenge you to take it very seriously. Not to take it lightly. But it is an upward call. It's not an easy call to take a stand for Christ. But it is an upward call. And then he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature, some of your Bibles may translate that perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise. Now some think that Paul was addressing those who think that they're perfect. They think they're spiritually mature, but really their conduct does not measure up to their thoughts about themselves. Now that happens in the church. There are those that have think they've already arrived. There are those that think they're a little bit farther ahead than everybody else. Paul said, that's not my attitude. If you think that way, then make sure your conduct rises to the level of what you think you are. In fact, humility is the order of the day for all of us who are believers. Let no man think more of himself than he ought to think. But each esteem others as greater than themselves. That is the attitude of a believer. And that's the attitude of Christ, who took upon Himself the form of a servant, who came to surrender Himself to death, and not just death, but the death of a cross. Horrible, excruciating, public, agonizing, shameful. That's what Jesus took on for us. 
Well, that's the goal before us. The glory in us, Colossians 1.27 and 28 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is in us. This perfection, this glory. It's an amazing thing, but it is in us. Him we proclaim, verse 28, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, mature in Christ, complete in Christ. Paul said, this is why I labor with all of the energy that God gives me. So every man and every woman will be perfect, mature, complete, finish the course that God has for them. That's how you'd live your life, that your children may be complete in Christ, that your wife, your husband may be mature in Christ. You are to serve others as believers, not so they treat us the way that we think we need to be treated, but so they might be brought to completion in Christ. We're to lay down our own lives, our own preferences, our own desires, and we're to say, Lord, my perfect life is out the window. I desire to be a blessing to others. So they might be completed and fulfilled in you. And in so doing, an amazing thing happens when a believer sets his heart or sets her heart on doing that. God does that maturing work of grace in them in a marvelous way. Some of us think, well, if I just know more Scripture, if I study the Bible more, if I listen to more K-Love, you know, more hours of the day, if I, if I you know, read more Christian books, that, that's not how you get to spiritual maturity. None of those things are bad, but that doesn't equate to spiritual maturity. We honor Christ through serving others, our own family, our family and people around us, our enemies, people that we work with that we can't stand. But we pray for them and we say, oh Lord, I desperately want you to save them. I can't stand them the way they are. No, that's not what you pray. (laughs) Lord, I, I want them to be complete and whole in you. It's not a kind of a prayer just to make your life better so you can have a perfect life. It's a prayer that ultimately will lead in more difficulty for you in this honoring of the Lord. The last thing is this. Not only the glory that's in us, but the glory before us. His glory. Hebrews 13, the last passage I want to read to you. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, says this. And it's a good way to end because it is a benediction of the letter of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, parenthetically, the great shepherd of the sheep, By the blood of the eternal covenant. Equip you. Equip you. With every good thing. That you may do his will. Some of the translations say. Perfecting you. In every way. Equipping you. With everything good. That you may do his will. Do you know God will give to his children. Everything that you need to accomplish his will. That includes suffering. Because Jesus was perfected through his suffering. That includes difficulty. Because Jesus didn't come to have a perfect life. He had great difficulty. But he lived a perfect life. A perfect life does not mean an absence of trouble. Difficulty. Opposition. Heartache. Pain. Loss. That's not a perfect life. Jesus showed us. The difference between that myth and what's real. The perfect life is to say, at the end of your life, as Jesus did on the cross, what did He say? 
It is finished, perfected. It is as it should be. Nothing is undone that you wanted done, Father. Nothing has been done that you didn't want done. It is finished. All that was needed to perfect and complete and fulfill the plan of salvation so you might be saved has been done through the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes you perfect in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, not through the church, not through being a Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian, a Rastafarian. I don't even know what a Rastafarian is. Not through anything that man might try to grasp after to say, this will make my life better. This will make my life more perfect. It is only through Jesus Christ. He is the perfect one. The only perfect one. To whom be glory forever and ever. The glory such as we cannot understand is out before us. And the glory is in us. And the goal is to bring God glory through our obedience, through our surrender to Him. Now, All I can say is, I just want to challenge you to give up the myth of a perfect life and embrace the one who lived the perfect life for you. Trust in Him. Commit your life to Him. Commit your way to Him. Commit your days to Him. Commit your marriage to Him. Commit commit your parenthood to Him. Commit your children. Commit your perfect yard to Him. That's not a perfect yard. Commit everything to Him who is perfect. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us to embrace you and you alone. Help us to dispel and put aside the myth of a perfect life. Help us not to try to live so foolishly as to try to make our lives look as perfect, be as perfect as we want. Lord, help that longing, help that that pain of knowing that things are broken in the world, things are broken in our life. Lord, I pray that that pain would be an agent of grace to point us to You, Lord Jesus. Well, Lord, we're not going to be right. Nothing is going to be right until we're right with You. But Lord, You have made provision for us to be right. For our salvation to be perfect. And Lord, to work in our lives in such a way that we'll surrender to You day by day and bring You glory. God, thank You for each believer who is here today. You've given them everything they need to in every way live a life pleasing to You. And Lord, I pray for those who are not Yours, who are not Your children. Lord, would You speak to them today and draw them to You. May they bow their knee. May they take their stand for the name of Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.